Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am with Paula Cornell of Paula Cornell Sparkling Wine. She is the founder and vintner of her namesake wine brand. <laughs> she is also featured in Wine Country Women Heritage Families, and she's just one amazing woman. So, Paula, I am so grateful that you have carved out a little bit of time to chat with me today. Well, thank you, and I'm looking forward to spending time with you. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be great. Your family is so rich in history, and you've kind of, in my opinion, have a storied life. So let's give our listeners a brief overview. A little history. <laughs> yeah, lesson. There's lots of history. I am lucky to say that I'm fourth generation sparkling wine producer. My great-grandparents and grandparents all made champagne or sect in Germany, sect being German sparkling wine, all in the traditional method champenois way in Germany. That's also where my father learned his trade. And then he came to the United States, started making his own wine or bubbles in Sonoma County, and that was called Hans Cornell Third Generation. That was in the early 50s that he started that, late 40s. And then met my mother, whose family homesteaded here in Napa Valley and moved their winery to St. Helena, or between St. Helena and Calistoga in 57, 58. So, and then starting my own brand gets me to fourth generation. <laughs> but before you started your own wine brand, you had a great upbringing here in the Napa Valley, and then eventually a fantastic career doing a, a variety of different things. So let's talk about kind of your first career path. I worked for my father for many years doing, in starting my sparkling wine business, it was memorable, but also very teary to see how sparkling wine is made again, because I did every single one of those jobs by hand growing up. And I think that's probably why I have carpal tunnel today. (laughs) And I mean, just you did riddling you I got my hair stuck in labeling lines, I disgorged bottles, we did a little bit of everything. But he also had the the reasoning was that you had to work for other people. And so because of that, I spent a couple summers working for Stanford Court Hotel in San Francisco, getting management trainee that, uh, working for Sherry Lehman in Mad- on Madison Avenue, working as a retail in retail wine. And then once I came home from the wa- to the winery, unfortunately, the winery was starting to be in trouble. Uh, the winery closed in 92, and it closed because there was just too much competition. There was too much competition of the French that came in with big, big bucks. And it was hard to have your family business. And my father was the first Method Champenois producer in Napa Valley. So it was a great legend and a great way to grow up. Once my family's winery closed, that was 1992. And I also chaired Auction Napa Valley for the first time then. I went to work for Joseph Phelps for a couple of years as VP of marketing, then went to work for the Mandabi family, where I was GM of Bichon for a few years and then did national accounts for Robert Mondavi. Then I ran Carmenet for the Shalone Wine Group in Sonoma, 
which was great because it was going back to sort of my father's roots of being in Sonoma County and loved that. And then went, came back and went to Oakville Ranch and was GM there for a good 10 years and then started my own consulting business, which uh, was really a joy to be working with so many Napa Valley and Sonoma County uh, Cabernet producers primarily, both large and small, family, small and larger, but it was really wonderful. And then had this great opportunity to start my own brand. Was it inevitable that you would start your own brand? I don't know. I guess so. I think it probably was in the last 15 years. In the last 15 years, I started paying more attention to what was going on in sparkling wine, uh, drinking a lot more French champagne, being much more interested in it than I was. I think after the sadness of losing my family's business and being sparkling wine and champagne being so, that's what I knew. Right. That's what I drank all the time. That's what I now continue on after a hiatus of preaching that you can drink champagne or bubbles. And I say champagne knowing that I am making California sparkling wine, but it's made in the traditional manner. So I don't want anybody to get upset. I've had lots of great mentors. I've had a lot of great guidance and a lot of you know, trial by error, but I'm happy to be doing something that I truly love and that's in the, in the veins. Right. It's ingrained in you. Yeah. So that being said, you actually poured us a glass of bubbles. Why don't we talk about it? Oh, great. So um, I make two wines currently. One is what we're drinking right now, and this is the California Brut. The Brut, the grapes all come from an AVA called River Junction. It's not Napa Valley. This wine retails for somewhere between $22 and $25. and So you can drink it every day. That's exactly what it's made for. It's made for to celebrate life. To If you're having a good day, it's going to make it better. And if you're having a bad day, it's sure as hell going to make it better, <laughs> better. for you. <laughs> so it comes from an area called River Junction, which is south of Sacramento. And it's where the Sacramento and the Stanislaus Rivers come together. So it's a confluence there, which creates a coolness in the evening. So this is Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and it is aged a year and a half in the bottle. Okay. So traditional method champenois, just grapes aren't from Napa Valley. Right. And then you have a second bottle. And then I have a second, which is truly my baby. Um, and it is uh, Blanc de Noir. And the Blanc de Noir is... Pinot Noir primarily and Chardonnay. This comes from a vineyard, which is a great story, comes from a vineyard called Mitsuko's and it's in Carneros. Mitsuko was given this vineyard for Valentine's Day from her husband and he gave her a Tiffany's blue box Mm -hmm. with dirt and the note said, for the 365 days of the year that I love you. And he gave her 365 acres contiguous in the Carneros district. Awesome. It, it is a, a great, great story. story. And it's even nicer that my mother and Mitsuko were good friends. So to go full circle, that was a great, great. So it's a great area. Carneros being um, cooler. Right. It is um, a perfect place for champagne grapes. So I'm lucky to have some blocks that are designated specifically for me. 
So the Blanc de Noir is what I have now, and I also have a Blanc de Blanc that's on the yeast that'll be released next week, next year, not next week. (laughs) God, I wish it was next week. (laughs) You would have acted really quickly if that was the case. You bet. I do have to ask, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are the primary grapes in uh, sparkling wine and champagne, traditional, but typically there's a third grape, Pinot Meunier. Is there a reason that you chose to not use that? There really isn't a reason. It just hasn't been available to me me right this minute, not to say that that won't happen for the future. There's less and less in Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. It seems like some of the Pinot Meunier has gone to Pinot Noir, so it's not out of the reach. What I would like to do, however, is my father made a brand, uh, wine called Zertrolken, and it was 100% Riesling. It was bone, bone dry, and I would like to be able to do a small amount of Riesling-based just for heritage's sake. It wouldn't be for the general market, but it would certainly be fun to, fun to be able to pour here at the house. Yeah, because it's like a paying homage to your... Absolutely. ...to your family and your roots. You know, I feel like you've probably held every position at a winery, and you've worked at a number of wineries, and you probably know it all. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> But I'm going to ask, nevertheless, is there some advice that may have been imparted on you along the way that continues to stick out to this day? Oh, my God. Um, I would say stay interested. Don't get complacent. I mean, you've got to work hard. My father used to always say you have to know where the light switch is when you're working somewhere. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know where the light switch is to their own cellar or their own building. So some very basic things. Keep loving what you do. I mean, we're we're not curing cancer. We're not selling widgets. I think we also have to respect for Mother Nature, which I think sometimes we forget that Mother Nature is the one that's in control of our destiny when it comes to the wine business. And, you know, most of my mentors have been take a big, deep breath and go forth, but don't give up. It's it's Mother Nature. And again, there's something new around the, around the corner each day. Perseverance it's prevails. Perseverance. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah. It really does. Top moment of your career so far. I mean, you've had, like I said before, just a, a really interesting career. And so you probably have several top moments. I've had but... quite a few. And I've been very, very lucky with that. Uh, I think, you know, one was um, the first year, the first time I chaired Auction Napa Valley, raising over a million. It was the first year we raised over a million dollars. And it was so gratifying that in a time when my winery family winery was closing that the community it showed the strength of the community and that was over the top for me I think joining the Robert Madavi team and working with national accounts and truly understanding something that was always ingrained in my family about relationships and the importance of relationships but national accounts was definitely it taught me that I could sell but it also taught me the importance of relationships. And then um, being president of the Napa Valley Vintners, president of the board of the Napa Valley Vintners, was extremely exciting and important because it's such an or- a strong and important organization for Napa Valley. It It's really about uh, preserving and protecting and promoting the name Napa Valley and what all the great things that we do here. 
Uh, but there's been there's been great opportunities to work with lots of wonderful people and you know there's been rocks that are thrown at you along the way but you just keep keep going and going it's okay ahead. going ahead i think those are just a few that have been really Stand important out. to me and then of course starting my own brand i mean that definitely i guess is the pinnacle but at right. the same time there have been many others so you allude to that there's a third wine that's going to be released. So that's probably something that's clearly on the horizon. What other plans do you have for your brand? Right now, I believe that we'll stay to sparkling wine. Um, I'd like to be able to concentrate and do the very best that I possibly can in, in that. As I said, I have a Blanc de Blanc that'll be coming out next year. I just did th that wine as an auction lot for Premier Napa Valley. And that was all about, it was named after my mother, Mary Louise, since Chardonnay is the queen of white grapes. My mother was definitely the queen and the, you know, the queen no matter what of Napa Valley so it was it was wonderful to be able to name that after her I'm hoping to do a Brut Rosé in the California range but for right now I think sparkling wine is what I'm gonna stick with who knows we could talk next year and I could be doing something else but oh well well that's then this is yes, now exactly <laughs> What is roughly your case production? Because I believe it's small and it's another reason why people should be running out to get some of your wine. So the Brut that we have right now, the California Brut, is um, widely available across the United States and parts of Europe. Since it is a great price range, it has been picked up by quite a few grocery chains as well as Neiman Marcus, um, a few restaurants that are on corporate lists now. So I think you'll find that more available. And that is about 7,000 cases that I'm producing now, seven to 10,000 cases. Where the Napa Valley, be it the Blanc de Noir or the Blanc de Blanc, that comes in six packs. And it is approximately, I don't know, maybe 1,200 cases. So it's a small Teeny, amount. Yeah. yeah. And most of the time you're going to find that on restaurant lists and in fine wine stores. Um, so it's not distributed as widely. So I have to ask, if somebody wants to taste your wine, other than finding it on a wine list somewhere or in a wine store, is there another way that they could taste your wine? They definitely can. They can always taste the wine at any of Gary Fish's stores, New Jersey, as well as Napa Valley. He has it oftentimes um, on their machine, but they're always willing to open a bottle. Um, there's a few retailers around the United States, too, that do quite bit tastings. And then just to contact me at off of my website, which is Paula Cornell, uh, and uh, usually that either myself or a good friend of mine that worked with my father for many years can she helps me out quite often. So we, between the two of us, were available to to, to answer your questions or exactly. or set up an appointment you, or what have absolutely. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. 
Wine country women cultivate, create, and support beautiful wines. And at Comerica, we do the same. Hi, I'm Hema Quinn, Senior Vice President in the Comerica Wine Group. I help and work closely with winery owners and CFOs to grow their businesses. Whether that involves planning, operations, inventory, and more, we're here for you. Comerica has a large wine industry portfolio, and many of our clients have been with us for over 20 years, and we'd love to work with you. To learn more about Comerica's wine services, please call 888-973-8665. I think we're going to shift to your personal life. And one thing that I did want to ask before we really get into Paula Cornell's personal life intensely is I have to talk about your mother because while your father is from Germany, your mother was an opera singer, which I found fascinating. And your your parents just were like these really interesting, unique, uh, phenomenal people. So they were very interesting. I mean, I, I definitely did not have the normal. Uh, <laughs> both of them were older also. Right. Uh, my mother had, had gotten her MD and was also, she was the first cerebral palsy accredited cerebral palsy teacher in, in California. Uh, and she sang opera. And actually that's one of the, one of the way that my parents eventually met was because my grandfather went to buy champagne at the old city of Paris uh, store, which is now where Neiman Marcus is in San Francisco. And the gentleman who was selling wine told my grandfather that Mary Louise needs to meet this young German boy that's making wine in Sonoma. That didn't happen from that relationship, but eventually she did uh, meet him. But my mother was a force to be reckoned with. Um, She was, when people talk about my father, I always say it was a team that started Hans Cornell here in Napa Valley. Uh, She was definitely the power behind the throne. And he, uh, he, my father, respected her input. So they were both great. Yeah. Big shoes to fill? Very big shoes to fill. For, a lot of on, pressure <laughs> on, both, on both sides nothing was ever perfect right um, my father and I spent a lot of time together either at the winery because that was where we were or his love was horses and so uh, I grew up with some beautiful Arabian horses that it was his horses that we shared the love of and it was a great way to be able to to bond with him, to ride with him, and to look over Napa Valley. When's the last time you got on a horse? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I think the last time I was truly on a horse was in Mongolia, um, riding on the steps and just running, 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 and more running. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That wasn't yesterday, was it? <laughs> no, but I certainly wish it was. was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More than a year or two ago. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to put her on I a did, horse. Actually, though. I did go to the Arabian Horse Show last year in uh, Arizona, and it definitely sparked this love again of, boy, I should be riding. Riding horses. didn't get on the horse then. But, but. You were admiring them again. So. It is. And I'm lucky enough to have some great dogs, a cat, peacocks, chickens. So I have, it's definitely my own little chateau drool here sure without having a horse <laughs> well you know that's an investment a horse yeah. and you're already in a expensive profession uh, that is very true so you know maybe you can do without owning a horse well let's talk about your house 
which is where we are right now. How would you describe your decorating style? I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a cornucopia of my life. <laughs> That's really what it is. It is, um, I like color, so there's lots of color. I love art. I've inherited, my mother was, a, she loved Asian art, so I've got lots of pieces that were hers. But really, it's pieces I can go around and there's stories behind almost everything. I love it because uh, I I live it and right. it's definitely eclectic and it's not for everyone, but it is warm and it's home. Very inviting and I think it's fantastic. And every, like you said, everything has a story. So if somebody comes into your home, they're learning all about you. And, you know, and we're surrounded by books and to right. me, books are very important. I I wish I could get into reading on my Kindle, oh. and I can't do it. It's I not just the same. Cannot do it's it. Just not the I same. I need to turn a page. page. Uh, I do too. So it was. I grew up. That was my mother's love was books. Also, so um, to me, it's a luxury to be able to sit down and read a book. And so I have to ask, what's the last book that you read, or what are you reading right now? I'm constantly. I always have something on tape that I'm listening to. And then something that I'm reading at bedside. So it's a cornucopia from two book clubs to whatever is current. So okay, so you're reading too much that you can't call one now. I know. It's really bad that I can't <laughs> tell you. And that's the other thing about listening to something. What yeah. the heck was I listening well, to? It was good because, yeah. you know, I want to keep listening yeah. to it. When you kick back and relax... What kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, I'm definitely a Van Morrison, Elvis Costello um, fan. I've been trying to listen to more country because everyone's shaming me into it, which I I will say that I'm appreciating a lot more. But still, I listen to a little bit of opera, a little bit of classical, but it's a, it is truly a cornucopia. And country was the only thing that I just couldn't ever get my arms around, so I'm trying trying yeah. you're trying to appreciate but i listen it. to a lot the music song there's always something in the background Playing. going on okay do you have a hobby other than reading and collecting books do you have a hobby do you do you collect something i, I my hobbies are definitely the garden and my my animals and cooking i make a lot of jam i that's my psychiatric treatment um, basically because so many, uh, when I was at Oakville Ranch, there was an incredible amount of citrus. And I think that's where I just started learning that I needed to do something with all that citrus. And it's a great sort of mind altering time for me to be able to just go in my own zone then. Um, and travel. I'd say travel anytime I can. I've always got wanderlust. I travel for work a lot to sort of spread the gospel of Paula Cornell sparkling. But I also love to be, um, love to travel for fun. So you did have an annual trip. I'm not, or I think it was an annual trip that well, you used to take. Well, what used to, I had an incredible have, an incredible group of vintner women that we started from, we started a group called Lust for Life, and we raised quite a bit of money for breast cancer in Napa Valley. So we, over 25 years, we climbed Kilimanjaro. We were in Nepal, Mongolia. We rafted and trekked through India, Peru, some great, great places that 
I'm so glad that we did that. We had this great opportunity of, of and sleeping in tents through the whole thing. So oh we goodness. were, we had a great, great time. And so I, wait, I have to ask, are you still friends with all these women? We're very close. <laughs> That's good. We're all very close. We get to know each other very, very, well. very well. <laughs> very, very well. Matter of fact, we are all going on a Winnebago trip to Death Valley in a couple of weeks, oh, which okay. is what we've resorted to, resorted to <laughs> after all these years. Oh my goodness. I can't so, wait to hear about yeah, that. Yeah, that will be really interesting. I'm, I'm blessed with some very strong, wonderful women, women friends that we've had the great ability to do all those treks. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was going to ask you if there if you had a meaningful trip to share, but I feel like your whole life is a trip and it's all meaningful. Those tracks were a very pivotal point in my life that between friendship, between strong friendships, as well as persevering back as we go full circle talking about perseverance, you had to get up that damn mountain and you had to, if it being just one mountain or going multiple mountains, there was no way out so you had to keep you going. had to do it you had to keep going you got a bucket list oh my god um is there anything left on your bucket, a bucket list? list i there's so many places i want to go a top of my list is definitely being going to the galapagos i've never had that i'd love to go to antarctica uh, last year was croatia which was on the top of my list no there's there's definitely there's a lot of places that I would love to travel to, okay, but so we still have lots of time. Yeah, and she hasn't done everything on her bucket no, list God, yet. No, God, no. <laughs> There's a new thing for the bucket list every day. I, I believe that yes. in your world, yeah. for sure. A few more questions, and then we'll wrap things up. Is there something people might be surprised to learn about you that you haven't already talked about? Do you rappel down mountains? Did you skydive? No, I didn't do do any of that. Do you snorkel? I'd say most people are surprised about. Did you TP a house once? TP'd lots of houses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got her. Lots of houses. Reveals Lots of houses. No, it was. Tell us a little bit about that. No, I mean, just being a total brat. That's, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up here in Napa. Napa Valley, um, went to high school in Napa. I, I want to say it was almost charmed because it was a great, great friends that are still friends today. And some of those I now are my, my bocce team that we play in St. Helena. So it's, it is amazing how things go full circle in your life. What we learned that might surprise people is that you did TP. Some Absolutely. Okay. And used and egged two oh, people too. So, oh, for God's sake, too. of course. Oh, my goodness. That's... Well, I did it once. I know that I recall. So it just was the thing at one time. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of things that were the thing at one time. Let's get back to Thank the present. God. <laughs> <laughs> you got bubbles. We talked about how every day is a day to enjoy bubbles and that when you live here in the Napa Valley, you develop a great skill for hospitality and hosting parties. What is your secret for a successful dinner party? I think it's the guests that you have and it's putting that the group of guests, sort of the right combination of people together. And um, I have a sign in my kitchen that says, if you're invited, you're, um, I don't even know how it goes, but something, if you're invited, you're obligated to be amusing 
And I think as a guest, you are too, but as a host, you are also. So if you're going to show up, I think I would say it's definitely some great wine. Great wine and bubbles can help through everything, maybe even a good cocktail and a great assortment of individuals that want to have a good time. Okay. It is all about that dynamics of the guests. And I think your house would ensure a great dinner party just because of all the stories behind everything that's here. Well, I, I hope that that, I hope that that helps. And as well as, as well as my four-legged greeting committee, so that, you know, hopefully that That warms them up right away. That warmth or scares them to death. (laughs) So one way or another. I doubt that they're awfully nice. One's very big, but (laughs) and with a small, she thinks she's small. So yeah. Uh, well, let's wrap things up with five quick questions. They're really, really lighthearted. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. I promise there won't be anything crazy. What kind of car do you drive? An Audi. Okay. What's your favorite holiday? Oh, good question. I'd say Christmas. Okay. It's definitely Christmas. What is your favorite flower? Hydrangeas. Who's your favorite actor? Who is my favorite actor? Or one of your favorite. George Clooney. I mean, he's. I mean, he's just got great eye candy. (laughs) Plus, he's fun to watch. Sure. Last question: What is in or on your nightstand? In or on my nightstand? Flowers. Flowers. Books. Um, cat treats. Um, um, I'd say there's always flowers. There's always and there's always books. Very good. Paula, you have been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Michelle. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.